0: Hey, good morning, Doug. Hey. I
1: really morning. appreciate you joining us on the podcast with Sink or Swim, a Long COVID Long Haulers podcast. I
0: appreciate the opportunity to actually share and learn about this war that we're fighting every day with okay, our help.
1: world. So we are here with Monty. Monty is just like a lot of us are. She has acquired the coronavirus. And she is now dealing with exactly what a lot of us are dealing with. Long COVID, long haulers, no matter what you call it. Uh, it really sucks, and sometimes we have good days, sometimes we have bad days. So, Monty is here with us. Monty, I want to tell you thank you. Uh, I want to tell you how much I appreciate the fact that you're willing to share with us and everyone that's listening around the world. Hey world, I want to thank you for listening. This is episode two of three. Let's jump right back in with Monty where we left off. So, my first question is when you had to make decisions with getting innovated, when you had to make decisions on treatments, did your family get to participate in that with you?
0: Um, I'm going to say no. I refused innovation. It scared me. I felt like the death rate was higher. Not that I had any significant numbers on that, but I just felt like it was causing more harm than good. Uh, And the treatments, once I was coherent enough, to ask questions and get the information, I continue to make those on my own.
1: Walk through a little bit with me for the hospitalization, because we kind of stopped when you were coming out of the ER. We know a little bit about the emergency room visit. But when you were being admitted and when you went to, did you go to the floor or did you go to an ICU for admission?
0: Um, initially I went to ICU for 10 days.
1: Okay. And what was explained to you about why they were putting you in the ICU from the emergency room? Nothing. Okay. Nothing. So, um,
0: so I went to a hospital and one, I, let me say, when I went to this ER and I had the kind nurse, there was also another nurse that said, why did you come to this hospital? Well, so, um, and there's reasons there's reasons behind that, but they said, well, we have to get approval from another doctor for you to even stay here.
1: I guess I'm understanding that probably they did not have the beds or the team to be able to take care of higher risk COVID patients.
0: That that would be yeah, I would say that was probably the most likely reason. Okay, um, but once I did get up to ICU, they had the suits. They had all the protection. Of course, I guess a hospital would, but, you know, they seem to be ready. So as, a, as
1: a patient, I remember uh, uh, and and I want to acknowledge the staff that worked in every facility because the nurses they gave everything and oh gosh. Uh, they, they gave up a lot and they, did. they they were at risk for a lot. So I want to acknowledge the nurses that are listening and the doctors that are listening and all of the ancillary staff. I mean, the AIDS, the radiology, the lab, the respiratory therapy. I'm sure I'm forgetting one of them, but housekeeping uh, a lot yeah. of people forget about them how important they are. So all of those people, they had to they had to really suit up, I'll call it, and they were reusing PPE, they were doing a lot of stuff. Tell me how all of that affected you as a patient in there.
0: That was pretty scary for me. I had never witnessed or experienced anyone in that type of a suit. Um, It looked looked like a space suit to me. That was very scary to me and I guess it made made me realize, I guess, how really impactful or significant this little tiny virus is.
1: With them suited up like that, how did that affect you with talking to them and them being able to touch and give you comfort?
0: You know, I will say that they still did provide some level of comfort, even though it seemed a little cold with them in the suit. Because you couldn't really see anything but their eyes, but it was it was frightening. And that's the only thing I can come up with. It was just frightening to have that person enter with that suit on and look like they had a breathing tube or something off the back. Do you know what
1: I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, I do. when you talked to them, could you hear them normal?
0: Uh, it was a little muffled. Of course, you know I still had the hearing issue from all of the air uh, circulating around my head, but. I could. I could hear them.
1: What was the air circulating around your head?
0: That I was on...
1: World, and I do mean world, we have over 27 countries now listening to us. We are long haulers, we are long COVID, and we are supporters of those who have long haulers and long COVID. I want to thank you for listening. I also want to strongly encourage, follow, like, and share. Please follow the podcast, Sink or Swim, Long COVID Long Haulers Podcast. Please share this with others that you know. Getting this out gives support and gives education to others thank you very much all of you all 27 countries
0: i was on a machine called a. I, I was on a bipap but there was another one called air airflow airbow that was not as bad as the bipap but it really interfered with me hearing i don't know if it was because so much air was being forced in or
1: how did you ever get to communicate with your family during those 10 days
0: i used i text i would text them
1: so you were able to have your cell phone with you and yes. you, were, you were comprehending enough to be able to do that.
0: Yes, okay. I am. Um, my oldest daughter snuck snuck in the hospital. I'm not sure how she got <laughs> past everybody, but um, she figured out some way. She found out exactly where I was and <clears throat> she stood at my door. Sorry. No,
1: it's, <laughs> she it's, stood
0: at my door and waved at me you know so
1: that's awesome i I, really, that, I love that, that.
0: Was, <laughs> i don't know how she did it but she did she was she dressed so in was, an astronaut uniform too <laughs> no no she's had her mask on and she brought me a book to read <laughs>
1: that's incredible that that how did yeah. how did that help you
0: it was kind of you know it was kind of funny because as soon as the nurses saw her, they were like, how did you get in here? <laughs> what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. And she was like, I just brought her a book. It was nice. It she was brought nice. you way
1: more than a book, didn't she? She did. Yeah. Yeah. So that goes back. Whether she
0: knows it or not, you know, yeah. it, it did. It just made a huge difference. And, you know, how you feel and you think, oh, they're going to get to me one way or another. (laughs) Never going to leave you alone.
1: And where in your 10 days was that?
0: I want to say probably that had to probably been seven or eight days into it.
1: So you were in the ICU for 10 days. When through that process did they first tell you they wanted to intubate?
0: Uh, Initially, um, the first day.
1: Oh, right out the gate. They wanted Mm -hmm. to intubate day one. Yes. And... How was it explained to you why?
0: Um, That my level of oxygen that I was on, they were telling me I was only, um, gosh, I can't try to remember. Well, of course, my oxygen levels were extremely low. They may have to innovate me, is what they said, in order to, to get those levels up where they wanted them. And I just, I said, no, I said, absolutely not. And they said, well, you know, crazy, you're too young not to want to get better. And I was like, that is the very last resort, and I am saying no.
1: Did they ask you several times after that again, like day two, day three?
0: No, they did not. I wasn't asked again until I was transferred to another hospital.
1: When were you transferred to another hospital?
0: On the 10th day. I I had an amazing group of doctors, nurses, respiratory therapists, the housekeeping, the technicians, the nursing technicians. They were all amazing. I don't want any of the negative that I might come across with to be an attack on any of them. If it was not for them, I would not have survived. I would not have survived. I had the best nurses. I don't you know i i think that i was put in that place at the the time that i needed to be there with those those nurses and those gosh bless those doctors because i was i got could be quite um demanding and they were the same every day they were the same every day
1: that's good to hear that's because it's so easy for the media For, you know, social media, the general news media, they all love the negative. They all love to bash and tear down. But healthcare is really hitting a hard time now with nurses, with doctors, with everybody being affected by what everybody had to go through from that time frame. I want to take you back again. To when you were transferred to the other hospital, you said it was at the end of the 10 day ICU stay in your first hospital. So why were you transferred to another facility and give us a little bit of information about that?
0: So the reason I was given was that I could only stay in that hospital for 10 days based on some COVID county something. I never really quite understood, but they transferred me at the end of the 10th day to another hospital.
1: So it was an administrative rationale rather than you were crashing or you need something more special or something. So when you went to the next hospital, where were you? Were you on a floor or did you stay in the ICU?
0: No, I was actually on a floor this time. I I was in a makeshift room, actually. They were running out of rooms. But yeah, I was actually admitted to a floor.
1: How many days did you spend in the specialty hospital recovering?
0: In the specialty hospital, that was the third hospital (laughs) I was in. So that's the last one. I want to say it was a little over 30 days. Wow. Um, Yeah.
1: Is it the second hospital where you actually spent about 30 days and the next one you came out in about 45 days?
0: Correct. It's the second hospital is where they gave me the biggest hope of recovery explain that to me so the second hospital that's where i had two additional requests to go to be innovated and i declined it i had a third doctor come in and he said you know i don't think you do need to be innovated but you can get better and you will get better this is just going to take a very long time for you to get better it's, it's going to be a marathon for you. It's not going to be a race. It's going to be a marathon, but you can get better.
1: Was your so, family able to be with you yet? No. So you were still by yourself through this 30 days? Yes. Yes okay explain to everybody how hard that was because i mean you're not just in the admission phase you're not i'm talking about the time frame we're now at if i'm counting correctly we're now at about two weeks and you're looking at another whole month
0: yeah so i um my birthday came and went during this time christmas was approaching so this was very difficult because we have huge family celebrations so this was a difficult time i i was starting to get a little better i still didn't have the energy to really even turn myself over in the bed but at least i could gather my thoughts i could text my family can you bring me some chapstick or tell them i missed them tell them how much i loved them my son's birthday came and went during this time
1: how old was he
0: he's 23
1: okay still your baby
0: still my baby <laughs> yeah
1: explain how the emotional part of all of that felt the did you feel lost did you feel hopeful i mean what was the roller coaster like
0: i would feel good on those days the doctor would say you're getting better your oxygen's coming you know you're breathing more on your own you're getting better we're seeing improvements you know you would get you would get those hopeful feelings but then you know you know that that going home phase is still way off in the distance, that, you know, I'm not going home tomorrow. (laughs) I'm not going home next week. So it was still, still lonely. You're still lonely. You still have that homesick feeling that you just want to go home. You just want to go home.
1: How do you feel that affected your recovery? Do you think it lengthened it? Do you think that it would have made a difference? How do you see that?
0: If I could have had my husband with me, You know, even, even if it was just a weekly visit, just, just to see him, you know, just to, just to, even if I couldn't touch him, just to see him physically, I think, I think it would have helped tremendously with my recovery. I think I would have tried a little harder, done a few more things. I wouldn't want to jeopardize the kids. I wouldn't want to put my kids in that position because of their own kids, but
1: We all have those one or two people that make an impact on our life, that the impact makes a difference, positive and negative every day, to a point of actually having the ability to change our life. Hey, if you haven't listened to episode number one with Monty, go back and check it out. It was released right before this one. And it's easy also to go look at all of the other episodes that we have out. Especially go check out the EBU treatment potentials that all of us long haulers and long COVID has as a potential treatment. So go listen to Eboo and Dr. Milgram. You'll want to listen to it, you'll want to share it, and you'll want to follow for other future treatments, future information. And- And just sharing what we're going through. Thank you and have a blessed day. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Did you only text? Were you allowed to call?
0: I only opted to text because of the hearing issues.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Um, Yeah, because I couldn't even hardly hear when they would come in the room and talk. Okay. Um, to me it was, it was so difficult to hear
1: so then some uh, people may turn around and say if you can't hear them then what good would have it been to expose well there's also the touch factor there's also the present the nearness factor his uh, presence yeah yeah. The, and that's kind of what I was asking earlier a little bit about when they're in their jumpsuits in their astronaut suits as some people called them nurses include the touch factor in the healing process also the holding the hand or you know mm-hmm. the bathing the helping the support was that a factor that made a difference from your point of view
0: um, i will say yes and the last hospital i was in there was Two particular nurses that <laughs> that did that. Like one of them painted my nails for me. You think that that's not that big of a deal, but when you've been sick for 60 days at this point and she offered to paint my nails and I thought, oh, gosh, you know, and she took the time to do it and she painted them. I mean, just the little things. She offered me a comforter. It was cold outside, but she offered me a comforter. I mean, just those little tiny things you think God, it just made it a little bit better
1: we are at in your timeline and your story of how life went with your lived experience we're at the end of all of the in hospital or in facility stay and it looks like from what you sent me you got to go home on about january 8th of 21 correct so all of november all of december and one fourth of January was your stay in the hospital because of coronavirus. Correct. Okay, tell me a little bit about because I'm just now realizing that earlier you said Christmas was coming, but you missed a birthday of your son. Uh, you missed yeah. your own birthday. You missed Christmas. You missed New Year's. New Year's. You missed a almost. I'm. I'm. It's not a year on the calendar. But you missed a major year of family.
0: And Thanksgiving, yeah. And Thanksgiving.
1: And Thanksgiving, yeah. Cause October is when you went in. Now that it's past, can can everybody say, ah, you're past it. It's done. It's over. That's not that's that that doesn't matter anymore.
0: Answer those people. So when you say that's past, it doesn't matter anymore. It's that's really a hard thing for me to Um, get by, get around or because I I hear it a lot. You know, everybody will say, oh, it'll be all right. Just don't worry about it or don't panic or it's frustrating and it's aggravating. And, you know, sometimes it's even maddening because until you have experienced it, until you can put yourself there, until you can feel what I felt and not to take away from what my family felt during that same period, because they had their own feelings There's no way for me to describe to someone that says, that's in the past, don't worry about it. There's no way for me to describe to them to get them to even remotely get what I'm trying to tell them. Am I making any sense? Or am I ripling? You um, are
1: making 100% sense to me because I get the fact that we, we, you, I, other long haulers, other long COVID, we don't know how to explain it to you. Just like with the doctors and nurses, Nobody has ever had to deal with this before. It is not like anything else. We've had the flu. You get sick from the yep. flu. The flu is a virus. We get a vaccine for it. You get it or you don't get it. Uh, we get pneumonia. We get a cold. We get stomach virus. We get gastritis. We get, you know, the diarrhea. We get We get all of those things. Bladder infections. We get all of those things, too, but not one of those things, not one is comparable to or an example of what we have and what we're dealing with, because it is not the same. It doesn't feel the same. It doesn't affect us the same. And I think one of the most important parts is it doesn't end right there's and that's the biggest thing
0: there's no light at the end of the tunnel you don't know
1: there seems to be no treatment hey i want to encourage you to go back and listen to our interview of dr milgram he discusses five treatments available to us for long covid long haulers so go back and listen to episodes eight and episodes nine you'll enjoy it you'll learn something and you'll be happy you did there seems to be no emotional help there seems to be no medical help there seems to be absolutely not one little flicker of light at the end of the tunnel and that is correct that's what that's where i i think only the terminal ill can understand because we're not we're as far as we know we're not terminally ill right as far as we know
0: As far as we know. Yeah. But at the same
1: time, we don't know if we have to have this and deal with this until we're dead.
0: Right. You know, I'm what, 15, 16 months outside of COVID, post COVID and still on oxygen. Now it's a low dose oxygen. Is this the rest of my life or is this just further treatment until it's resolved? You know, that's, that's some of the things that I'm going through my everyday life. I'm I'm working full time. I'm trying to do family functions, trying to get back in the world and live my life. But is this is this the rest of my life on oxygen? And what is the rest of that? I mean, how long can you be on oxygen and it be truly healthy? You I know, can't live without the, it.
1: One of the questions that I know my wife has heard me ask and i don't tend to share with other people except through this now but one of the questions that i ask i don't know how long my brain my head my body can take this there has got to be a limit i don't know where it is i've not had any doctor be able to even understand when i say it so they can't answer it i mean there's a limit everybody has a limit body has a limit the mind has a limit when someone is tortured, they have a limit. Uh, when someone is being abused, they have a limit. Everything, everyone has a limit. Right. I, I mean, that almost drives me crazy if I would sit down and think about it for a little bit because nobody can tell me. So right. as far as I know, there is no limit. I'm yeah. Gonna- and,
0: that, and that's exactly right. That's, that's like, what that's exactly right. You know, on my, my worst days, that's, that's exactly
1: world thank you for joining us again for another episode on sink or swim along COVID long haulers podcast you've been listening to monty's story this has been episode two of three so follow the podcast like the podcast and share the podcast you want to listen to the episode number three coming up soon so follow share and like thank you again world be blessed it's a choice